to lose about half of the church with what I'm about to talk about. Um, but has anybody ever heard of the A-Team, the TV show, the A-Team? Yes, all my more seasoned folks. Can we say amen to the more seasoned folks? Yes. So this A-Team show is, uh, it was airing from 1983 to 1987. And this show was all about this premise. Uh, these special ops officers were, were charged with crimes that they did not commit. They were charged with these crimes and the, and all the episodes were about them running from the military police. But I love them. They, they were kind of Robin Hood-esque. They, they loved to help the small guys. I remember this uh, particular episode. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but it's a bar fight. And uh, Hannibal Smith walks into a bar with Amy Allen, and, and it's a bar filled with Latinos. And one of the guys, the leader of the, the, the pack in the, the Latino bar, uh, he, he stands up and he says, man, I, you're in the wrong place. You shouldn't be here. And, and Hannibal runs his mouth a little bit and they shut the door behind him and they lock the door. And, and Amy Allen keeps saying these words, is this a part of the plan? Is this a part of the plan? Is, is this a part of the plan? And here they are outnumbered. Uh, Hannibal doesn't fear at all. Why? Because he's got his good old buddy A.B. right outside the door. And he says, hey! He calls him, kicks in the door. Mr. T comes in with all of his chains on. You know, this is when Mr. T was in his prime. And B.A. is standing there. He, he's cut. He's ripped up. He's got the, the gold chains on. And then the Latino cat, the, the, their biggest guy comes out. And then they have this huge brawl. All the while, Amy Allen is asking one question. Is this a part of the plan? And it's crazy to me because after all of the conflict, it doesn't matter the episode, Hannibal always ends with this phrase, I love it when a plan comes together. I love it when a plan comes together. It is the idea that this is intentional. Uh, There's some design behind this thing. This just didn't happen by happenstance. There's a plan in mind. And when we come to our text this morning, that's exactly what we see. What we will see this morning doesn't just happen by happenstance, but, but there's an intentional plan at work. And there's an intentional designer at work. We're going to see three main ideas this morning. We'll see that God's plan prevails in obedience. We'll see that God's plan prevails in tragedy. And lastly, we'll see that God's plan prevails because He outlasts evil. Now let's pray together before we jump in. Father, thank You. Thank You, Father. We just thank you, God. We thank you for time together. We thank you for worship. Refuels our souls. 
Father, thank you for the gifts of the body at work. Thank you, God. Father, would you speak to us this morning? Would you move me aside? Would you have your way in our hearts? Lord, I pray that something would be said that would grip that person who who may find themselves in a tight spot. And Lord, that person who walked in here this morning, who, who is wrestling with what they believe, I pray that your spirit would arrest them this morning. God, would you have your way in this place? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So for the last several weeks, uh, we've been in this Advent series. And what we've said is, Advent speaks to the arrival of an important person. And we saw the intentionality uh, in Matthew, in the first half of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, in, we, in the second half of Matthew 1, we saw a God who is with us. And one of the things we said last week is, no other major religion can claim this God who is present in the time of trouble. We see Emmanuel in the second half of Matthew chapter 1. He is with us and he empowers us for mission. Last week we were able to see how God uses unlikely people. And we saw God use the the messed up Gentile uh, wise men. He, He used folk who had pagan practices to infuse them with the gospel message and he sent them out that that the gospel message may spread. And what we've said is, if God can use them, God can use anybody. That there is no place too low that God cannot reach us. He used pagan folk and, and if he can do that, he can use you and I as well. I love this because this story is a beautiful story. The story of Jesus shows us the the power of God. But one of the things is that's that's crucial with Matthew's gospel is over and over again what Matthew wants to lift up before his readers is that Jesus is not just a baby, that Jesus is not just a man, but that he is the Messiah. We saw that Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew chapter 1, we we saw that Jesus is the Messiah in the first half of Matthew chapter 2. And and one of the things you you can just assume in the second half of Matthew chapter 2 is that Jesus is still the Messiah. He's not just a baby. And I know we're seeing this, a part of this infant birth narrative. But Jesus is not just a baby, but He is God. He is born of a virgin, uh, which makes Herod incredibly uneasy. Because Herod wants the worship. Herod wants the allegiance. Uh, Herod wants it all, the devotion for himself. And Jesus comes on the scene and shakes it all up. Our story picks up after the wise men were warned in a dream and not to go back to, to assist Herod. And as we come to our passage, we've, we've got to see that God's plan prevails in obedience. Look at this with me. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to take the child to Egypt until he was told otherwise. The angel of the Lord told Joseph in a dream that Herod wanted to destroy Jesus. So look at verse 14 with me. Look down at this. Look at verse 14. It says this. And he arose 
and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Did you catch that? The angel of the Lord comes to Joseph, gives him the message of the Lord, and says, Herod is after this child. He wants to destroy him. You have to get out of here. And the very next verse, what we see is Joseph rose up, and he got out of there with his family. He was obedient. And if you get nothing else this morning, you you got to get that the people of God are an obedient people. And that's what we see from Joseph's example. He is an obedient person. And I gotta beg the question this morning, what if Joseph did not obey? What if Joseph had not obeyed the word of the Lord? What if Joseph had not obeyed and, and all of a sudden Herod pops upon the scene and the, the word of the Lord still came to Joseph and, and all of a sudden this child who is to be the savior of the world is in the grips of somebody who wants to destroy him. And not just what that means back in antiquity, but what does that mean for us today? If Joseph was disobedient, it changes all of life. If Joseph was disobedient, you and I are not here this morning. Why? Because we have no solution. If Joseph was disobedient, there is no longer an atonement for sin. There is nobody to be buried. And there sure enough is nobody to raise again from the the grave to conquer sin and death and shame and guilt. His obedience was a part of the grand scheme of things. Joseph heard the word of the Lord, and he said yes to being obedient. We've got to understand that obedience is not always comfortable. Joseph takes his family, he packs up the little that they did have, and they go to a foreign place. And what I want you to hear this morning is that obedience, being obedient to God, obeying God's word, will not always be comfortable. And this is Joseph's story. He got to a place, he's got this little child, and and that's inconvenient enough, I'm sure. Here he is uh, with this little baby, and all of a sudden the word of the Lord comes, and he has to quickly pack up and get out of there. He he, He was uncomfortable. And Joseph was willing to do this, not just for the sake of his family, but also for the sake of being obedient to the Word and to the will of God. Uh, Let me say this before I I, I make mention of what I'm about to say. Um, I don't have all the answers. And and secondly, I would say, um, if you have an issue with this, uh, please feel free to uh, send your email to, to Richard Reeves. Um, please. And I, I, I want to, you know, I want to leave that door open for you. But in Joseph's obedience, he rose and took the child and his mother by night. And the Bible says they departed into Egypt. Don't miss this. Get this, that word departed, uh, it, it is, it's, it's a beautiful word. And it, it, it gives us the meaning of to take refuge. So here, the Savior of the world and His parents 
are literally taking refuge in a foreign place. The Savior of the world is a refugee with his mother and father. And they're having to take refuge in a foreign place, a place that is unfamiliar to them. And don't miss this part. Somebody has to welcome them. That's all I got to say. He is a refugee. It's extremely clear. And somebody in Egypt welcomed them. Don't forget to send your emails to Richard. Um, Here's the idea. Obedience is not always easy. If it were easy, it wouldn't be being obedient. Obedience is not always comfortable. Yet Joseph hears the word of the Lord. And he hears the word of the Lord. He experiences the word of the Lord to be a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. He he experiences the word of the Lord. Like Psalm 19, the psalmist wrote that the the word of the Lord is is sweet as honey. It's it's like the, the honey drippings from the honeycomb. That's why he was obedient. Not that it was always comfortable, but he valued the voice of God. He, he valued the instruction of God and he was obedient. He obeyed. And I want to tell you this morning that this was all a part of the plan. That it wasn't a foreign thing. It was all a part of the plan. Matthew says in verse 15 that this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. That out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew is pointing the readers to the reality that in the same way that the nation of Israel was called out of Egypt, that Jesus would come in and that he would usher a new kind of freedom. The, the nation of Israel were, were called out of Egypt and, and, and the Bible calls them the nation of Israel the son of God. And here, Jesus is sent into Egypt. And what we can see is this picture of Matthew letting the the Jewish readers know that Jesus is ushering in a different kind of freedom. And that freedom is salvation. That freedom is life. That freedom is peace. That freedom is joy in messed up circumstances. He's ushering in a different kind of hope, a different kind of life, a different kind of deliverance. And it's with His very life. It's a different kind of victory He is ushering in. Uh, It's so crazy to me. um, You you know, you go in the store, and and I actually got to see this with my own eyes. and and now it's crazy because parents are frantically shopping for Christmas time. But not long ago, I was in the store and uh, I saw this poor mom with her toddler. And this kid was going nuts. I mean, he was giving her the business. And... and, and and I hated for her. I mean, he was talking back. He was snatching away. He was falling out into the floor. I mean, he was giving her the business. And I know half of y'all are thinking, that, that, that could have been me this week. <laughs> you know, that, that might have been. Was that my wife in the store? Um, and, and it's crazy because this little kid, 
he just would not obey. He would not listen to his mom. And, and, and a part of me felt bad for her because she was just embarrassed. You know what I mean? She was embarrassed. And, you know, y'all know I ain't got no kids, but when I do have some kids, <laughs> you know what? I, I'm not going to be that embarrassed parents. <laughs> no, you going to be embarrassed. <laughs> I, I'm not going to be the one. Nah, you're going to be the one embarrassed. I'll be like, y'all, y'all see that kid? Yeah, he acting a fool. Yes, he is. And it's crazy because this mom, this, this poor mom, she, all she wants is for this kid to just act right. And would you just please obey? Would you just please obey? And I'm sure in this mom's mind, if you just obey, all of life would be better. If you just listen to your mama, all of life would be better. And I think when we look at our text, this is what Jesus is demanding of us is obedience. People who walk with Jesus ought to be people of obedience. And that's the example that Joseph gives us. He, he, he hears the word of the Lord and, and he embraces what, 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 is cha- what, what God is challenging him to do. And he's uncomfortable with it. And yet he still obeys. Is that the kind of character that you have? Do you hear God's word? Do you, do you read God's word? Do you hear the word of the Lord from somebody else? And are you the kind of person who obeys? Or do you rebel against the Word of God? What if Joseph would have rebelled? What if in that moment he would have served himself? Would have changed all of life? Secondly, we have to see that God's plan prevails even in tragedy. God's plan prevails in tragedy. We see this in verse 16. Here realizes that the wise men have tricked him. And he's incredibly angry because they've tricked him about the whereabouts of Jesus. Understand that this is the same cruel guy who killed three of his sons. I mean, this guy was messed up. Uh, This is the same guy who put out an edict and said, When I die... Uh, So that people will mourn effectively, I want you to kill one person in every family. Now, they didn't actually do it after he died, but, but the audacity of him to even say such a thing. This guy was cruel. And so just imagine him coming after this per- and so Herod comes to town. Uh, he sends his people to town. He sends his people to Bethlehem. And his, 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 his charge is to kill every child two years old and under. And he does it. And we, don't, we, we think that Bethlehem was a small town. And so there wasn't a terrible uh, amount of uh, kids that would fit in this category. But one is more than enough. And here he sends his people into town and they just begin to slaughter every little child, every little boy that's two years old and under. Imagine the grief that's in this town. Imagine the mourning that's taking place. 
I mean, we've, we've got kids in our nursery right now that are, that are little boys who are two years old and under. We, uh, I've got a nephew who's just a few months old, and, and I cannot even imagine what that would be like. Imagine the tears. Imagine the wailing. You know, I, I saw a video, and I know this is crazy, uh, uh, a while ago, and um, it, it was, you know, some folks had taken away a little baby elephant away from its mom. And the way this mother elephant reacted blew me away. I mean, she was moaning. And as I, and as I read through the, the, the little article, it talked about uh, the, the, the people studying her, the scientists, they heard sounds that they had never heard before. And here is what we see. We see human beings who, who are struggling with their children being ripped away from them. Imagine the morning. And I want to tell you that if they had Twitter back then, it would be all over Twitter. It would be all over CNN. It would be all over Facebook. Uh, because this was a deep tragedy. And yet, somehow through the tears, and somehow through the mourning, uh, somehow through the depression of a child being ripped away, God is still at work in it. God is still at work. And God is still working out His perfect, pleasing plan. And I I don't have an explanation for it. But what the Bible tells us is, it happens that the prophet's word might be fulfilled. Which tells us that this tragedy was was intentional. This wasn't an, an accident. And that God would be working in the midst of The valleys of people's lives. It's incredibly tough stuff. Matthew quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31. And you need to know that the main idea of Jeremiah 31 is that the people of God will experience hardship. But the story does not end there. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31.13, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Jeremiah 31.17 begins this way. There is hope for the future. And what we can see here is that in Jeremiah chapter 31, Matthew quotes this verse. And the whole idea is that though there may be weeping, joy comes. That there is hope and that the story does not end with the tragedy. But God is working in the midst of the tragedy. And God is working in the midst of the struggle. That that God's hand is at work in the midst of the hardest times. Which means that He cares. Which means that God has not forgotten. That He's at work. And that He's up to something. I love this. Um, Reminds me of the story of Job. And Job, go, Job goes through a lot. He, he has his friends and his wife, they, they turn their, their backs on him. Job has to go to a funeral with ten caskets laid out. And yet, through all of that 
struggle, yet through all of that loss, Job says in Job 13:15, though he slay me, I will still hope in him. How in the world can you do that? Because when faith has gripped your life, you understand that there is no struggle, there is no trial, there is no tragedy, there is no loss that God is not working in the midst of. Job understood that. Remember Daniel chapter 3, uh, the story of King Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, he puts out, uh, he grabs this golden image and he's got this statue thing and he sits it out and he says, when I, when I have this music played, I want everybody to bow down and worship this image. And the music plays and word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar that that there are three guys who are not bowing down to worship this golden image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They don't bow down. And he calls them into his presence. And they tell him that we are not bowing down to this image. They respond to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say this in Daniel three sixteen through 18. O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you hear this? What Job and what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they understand is that no matter what happens to me, God is at work. No matter what I experience in my life, no matter what I lose, you can throw me into the fiery furnace if you will. No matter what tragedy happens in my world, God is still at work. And His perfect plan will work itself out in my life. And that's what this story shows us. No matter the struggle, no matter what you take from me, God is still at work. He's working out His perfect purpose in my life. He's working out His perfect plan in your life. Uh, I I had a neighbor growing up for many, many years. And uh, my neighbor had two sons. And they were both younger than me. And uh, this neighbor uh, had this habit with uh, drugs. And it's so crazy because I remember seeing uh, her and her teenage son. There was one time her teenage son, uh, he stormed out of the house. And he was upset. And I was like, man, what, what, what happened? And get this, he was mad because his mama was stealing his drugs. Uh, and this is the kind of family dynamic that they had. She was addicted for for years and years. And, uh, man, crazy happenstance. Uh, The youngest brother, he was probably about 10 years old when this happened. We had an alley in the back of our homes. He was on his bike flying down the alley. He came out to the street, boom, got hit by a car. He died instantly. Uh, Her little baby um, taken out just like that. A couple years later... She's got this teenage son. He's running the streets. Uh, And I I heard about it before I read about it. But come to find out, uh, he got shot 17 times. 
got shot 17 times. Her, the only other son she had was murdered. She's mourning. She, she, she's experiencing a deep amount of grief. But somehow, out of the ashes, we, we see her and she begins to get herself cleaned up. And, and God frees her from this addiction of crack cocaine. And, and it's a crazy story to me because out of her tragedy comes something beautiful. And, and, and it's crazy because what we see here is out of the tragedy of, of this King Herod coming to take out all of these little boys, something beautiful is working itself out. And what God wants to give us this morning is that even though all hell may break loose in our lives, that He is still at work. He's still massaging His perfect plan. Do you understand that? Can you rest in that reality? That no matter what happens in my life, and through the tears, and, and maybe even through the feelings of depression, and maybe even through the feelings of suicide, that God is at work in my life. His perfect plan is working itself out. His will and His way is working itself out in my life. That's what we see here. That's what the story of Job teaches us. That's what Daniel chapter 3 teaches us, and that's what Matthew Chapter 2 teaches us as well that even in the hardest times, God is at work in our lives. Lastly, we need to see that God's plan prevails because He will outlast evil. And this is simple enough. The word of the Lord comes to Joseph again. And it lets him know that, he, that, that Herod has died. Uh, and it's okay for now... But he needs to get back to, to Bethlehem. And, and so Joseph is again, he is obedient. He, he grabs his family and he takes off to Bethlehem. But after being there for a short time, uh, Joseph is uneasy because one of Herod's sons is kind of the ruler of the land. And so this is confirmed in his heart in a dream. And Joseph understands that he has to get out of there. But what I want you to see, and this is easy to miss, God is at work. God's uh, prophetic words are being fulfilled right here in the New Testament. And, and, and what we see is Herod dies. Herod dies. Herod represents all that was in opposition to the will and the way of God. Herod is the one uh, who wants to consume all of the worship for himself, and he dies. And what I want us to see this morning is that it does not matter what comes up against the plan, the mission, and the work of God. It will always die. In the end, God is the one who will, will sustain us. In the end, God is the one who will last. In the end, God is the one who will live forever. Herod always dies. And what this tells us, we, we ought to be excited this morning. Because when Jesus raised himself from the grave, that gives us a victory. And that should confirm in our hearts that the Herods in our lives, the Herods in Matthew chapter 2, they will always die. And you and I win in the end. 
We can be victorious through faith in Jesus Christ. And even though we may experience hardship now, even though we may not have enough money to pay our bills now, even though the car will will continue to quit on us now, even though child support may be after you now, it will always die. It'll die. Because evil cannot outlast the mission, the plan, and the work of God. Herod hunted down Jesus like an animal. But in the end, he dies. Herod's son will die. Um, The Roman emperors who persecuted Christians all throughout the New Testament, they die. The Hitlers of the world, they, they always die. And God's plan moves forward. God's perfect will and His way moves forward. That God's intentional plan, His, His perfect, beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ may move forward. And what we see in the life of Jesus, what we see in the birth of Jesus is the baby who is God, who changes everything by coming on the scene and what He ushers in is the the promise of a life, uh, a perfect life through faith in Him. Jesus says, you do not have to do this thing alone. I want to work out my perfect plan. I want to work out my will and my way through you. And nobody can stop this plan. They may be able to knock you down. They may be able to harm you and and hurt you in this life. but, But nobody can stop you. Because my will, my way, will move forward. And in the end, all of the evil, it will die. And one day, through Jesus' life, through His burial, through His resurrection, one day, by having faith in Him, I will be able to get to this place in which there will be no more tears, in which there will be no more mourning. And this is what Advent is all about. We, we await the arrival of one who has given His life. And now we wait. We wait for Him to return and, and to claim those that belong to Him. We wait. We wait for Him to come back and we wait for Him to do away with injustice. We wait for Him to do away with poverty. We wait for Him to do away with fatherlessness. And we wait. And Jesus' coming tells us that God is faithful, that He is working out His perfect plan, and that God has not forgotten about us. And the arrival of Jesus reminds us that God will make good on what He has said. That God's perfect plan is working itself out in you and I. And that in the very end, there will only be Him. And those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, those are the ones who will commune with God. Are you there? Um, my wife Whitney, uh, she she has um, uh, her church back home is uh, uh, pastored by a guy, and uh, her family is a part of that church as well. Um, but when Jackson, Tennessee, that's where she's from, uh, got this pretty big tornado, uh, the pastor's house was right in the path of the tornado. 
The pastor was out of town, but his wife and his children were there in the house. They had nowhere to go. And so they make their way to the bathroom. This is several years ago, true story. They climb in the bathroom, and, and I can imagine mom is hovering over her children in an effort to protect them. The storm comes through. And do you know that the tornado took everything out around their home? The tornado took everything out in their home. There was nothing left except a bathroom and a tub with people in it. There, there, was, there was nothing left to say but, but to praise and to thank God because the only thing standing was their lives and this bathroom tub. Everything else had fallen down. And that's exactly what we see here in our passage. That when evil comes, one day we may experience the hardship, we, we may have tears in our eyes, uh, we may experience feelings of depression, but it would all die one day. It will all fall down right around us. Because if our faith is in Jesus, uh, it's more than the world against us. Is your faith in the one who has come? Is your faith in the one who has given his life for you? Have you trusted in the one who has given it all? And who is working out his perfect plan? In your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, that you are good. Thank you that your goodness at times surpasses our understanding. Father, I pray that you would help us to embrace the message of your Son. Pray, Father, that you would help us to embrace his arrival. We would embrace His giving of His life. God, that we would embrace His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Lord, would You apply His death to our lives? And I pray, God, that You would give us this unrest until we do so. I pray, Father, that You, that you would make us uncomfortable till we get to a place where we commit to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that you would allow the church to be a part of that. But not just a Sunday morning experience, but the people. So Father, would you help us to remember that that you've sent your Son to live, to die, to be buried, to, to raise again. You've sent Him that we may have hope and that we may go out in our city and that we may live, that we may walk as You would have us to live and walk. So God, open our eyes. Open our ears. Challenge us, Father, to be faithful to community around other brothers and sisters who will challenge us in the same ways. Pray, God, that you would capture our hearts. We will never be the same again. Now, God, we pray that you would bless these gifts, these offerings that you're 
we're about to receive, I pray, Father, that you would multiply them. That your fame would grow in Memphis, Tennessee because of them. That your renown would grow in Memphis, Tennessee because of them. That people in South, South Junction Apartments and new residents in the Chiska, God, and new residents in condos and old and from West Memphis to Midtown to South Memphis to North Memphis. God, from Claiborne Point to Foot Homes, I pray that you would arrest hearts by the mighty name of Jesus. That by your power, by your hand, eyes would be opened and ears would hear and hearts would have understanding of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.